This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. So as we start as we start the show today, Shart. <laughs> I gotta tell you what I heard. I'm sorry. I gotta tell you what I just heard. Do you say? Shart? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh. So it's me. T- we're not starting this over. We're just going to go with it. No, we're just going to go with it. Remember, this is the, cre- we, this is the creamy <laughs> the creamy filling that you all get to oh, be wow. exposed to. We're pulling back the curtain on our stupidity. <laughs> but what I wanted to say when I was so rudely interrupted by Sharts <laughs> was that we wanted to jump right into the topic that is at the forefront of everyone's mind. Uh, and we something that we something that we discovered in the uh, Hillary Clinton emails. Um, and Billy hasn't been able to stop talking about it. Billy, why don't you let anybody, everybody in on this to- the topic you haven't been able to get past over the last couple I've of days? I've actually been so riveted by what I heard Hillary Clinton say during her press conference describing Emailgate and where we sort of are and how why she used her you know, one cellular phone because it was apparently too arduous to carry two. The one thing she said, the most riveting moment in the in the press conference was her um, slipping in her admission that she would email yoga routines back and forth. Yoga. I don't know with whom. Yoga. I don't know if it was with Chelsea, her instructor. Uh, but I've been riveted, losing sleep, trying to figure out which routines was she doing. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, do you wear a pantsuit during them? Is it a pantsuit spandex? I don't know. I don't know how it all works. <laughs> Well, for her yoga routines, I think that um, What's I, that, well, Oscar <laughs> yoga. <laughs> it's yoga, Yoda. <laughs> I'm, I'm no, I'm no Pat Gray. Thank you. We're a mess already, oh, and we're about okay. twenty five seconds in. <laughs> so, um, I think that as when I think about that, I, well, the whole the whole circus interview that she did at the UN, the yoga routines. Was the most disturbing, right? I actually we've got spit lie. my water out. We, we've got <laughs> lie, we've got lie after lie after lie after lie after lie, and the most offensive part of that entire press conference was her yoga, her her yoga. I said Yoda, her yoga routines. Because it's because, like I'm going to go through the list of things that make me relatable. No. My my daughter's wedding check that you probably didn't plan. Um, you know, and she goes through this whole all of these things. And I shouldn't say that. Maybe she did plan her daughter's I wedding. It. But I just love nobody believes you know, that. She's scrambling in her head to figure out what can I say to relate. What can I say to relate? Yoga, my yoga routines. Her yoga routines. See, and the, the what makes it so offensive is the idea of the yoga pants. <laughs> The yoga pantsuit. <laughs> remember, but remember we had that story about the woman who said, I'm not going to subject men to that, the temptation thing. I'm not going to wear yoga pants anymore out in public, that sort of thing. Yes. There's I also remember. the, op- there's the, also the other side of that. There are people who shouldn't be wearing yoga pants because they You're weren't, terrible. they weren't built for yoga pants. <laughs> you are terrible. Hillary would be one of those people. I wasn't built for yoga pants. I'll tell you that much. Uh, I, I begged to differ, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is off the rails. 
Okay, so I guess we should probably get back on the rails. So we were gonna we were gonna get into the whole Hillary email thing, and we've been talking about it. And we and I and I'm not against talking uh, talking politics. Excuse me, talking politics on the show, and I think that we ought to, especially as we get closer to the the election. I think we ought to try to get those interviews and that sort of thing. But you know, we talked about talking about the Hillary emails and getting into them in depth. But uh, you lined up an interview that we're gonna have here uh, later in the show. And so we're going to get out of the Hiller email mode and talk about some other faith issues, faith-related issues that you've been writing about this week and we've had on The Blaze. Uh, tell them quickly, though, quick the audience, quickly, who's our interview subject that's coming up? So today I'm going to be talking with uh, Michael Lindsay, and he's the president over at Gordon College in Massachusetts. And basically, for those of you who aren't familiar, and we'll put the links up so you get a chance um, in the story we're going to write about this as well, to see basically Gordon is a college that's been embattled since last summer because they have, like most evangelical colleges, a, um, I guess you would call it a student oath, a faculty oath that says you will not engage in sex outside of marriage and you will not engage in same-sex relationships. Um, and so, you know, both which, of those things are which, very common. Which would be homosexual relationships would, would be sex outside of marriage. Right. Right. Um, and so basically, long story short of it, they sort of became the lightning rod that everybody went after. And, and I won't go into all the details of how that happened, but they've really approached it, the college, in a really unique way. So Michael Lindsay's the president of the college, and he has some huge revelations that he's going to talk about um, with us and, and share with us. So I think it's going to be really good. And that's awesome. And they've been at the center of they've been having a discussion about how do we deal with this. And that's what he right. really wants to come talk about. Right. So and how, how and how they dealt school? with it in a nine month evaluation right. process. Right. This is, we're not, we're not, what we're going to reveal, what he's going to reveal to us is something new about how the school is dealing with it. We already knew, I mean, you've written about this as have other places that the school, Gordon College, is working on how do we deal with this controversy. Let's. Well, actually, no, no, Chris, together. what he's revealing is Hillary Clinton's yoga routines. He with, knows them. With or without the pants. Yoga pants. <laughs> oh, no, no, but in a serious note, he is going to reveal the conclusion of the nine-month evaluation process and they're still continuing to evaluate this but they specifically evaluated how the college and i think this is important and interesting right. how the college cares for students who are struggling with gender identity issues yeah. that's how he worded it how are they caring for them are they doing enough are they having enough of a discussion and then also looking at the theology the school's traditional theology is that where the school should stand right. and that's what he will reveal right. on the show today good and it's a and it's going to be a great interview and I, I know that um one reason that we're having this interview today is because something else that billy lied about uh well now going on uh going on two weeks we he promised two weeks ago that a week ago we'd have uh, a former porn star who's turned her life around like god has turned her life around and and um done amazing things in her life and and billy had to publicly apologize then and then promised of course to um have that interview this week and then promptly decide that he wouldn't do that interview refused actually uh, sent <laughs> nasty emails both to me and to the staff at the blaze saying I refuse to do this nonsense which is actually a total lie because he we actually tried to schedule it and we were going to have her and then that but we're having her next right. week for so, sure right so we're not having we're not having the porn star or former porn star I should say on we're having the next best thing which is a president of a Christian college so it should be just as riveting <laughs> it actually is going to be riveting, but no, next week I we will know, have Brittany Ruiz on I'm just being to talk jerk. about her career. I'm just being a jerk. It's one of my, As usual. Hey, listen, you have, when, you, when you're like me and you have very few school, skills and you're not horribly intelligent, you go with what you got. So, <laughs> so the next thing 
So on my list here, so I've checked this off. Check, check, checked off uh, Hillary pants, uh, yoga pants, which we could come back to any time. I'd be happy to come back to the yoga pants. We probably will be coming right. back to it during the show. And, um, and I have uh, lingering questions. So we do have the interview coming up. But before we get into that stuff, before we get into the interview, Billy, you wrote a story. Uh, when was it? Friday. Uh, on the Air Force base, as Ben Garchin saying, have a blessed day, or at least they had, but now things have changed course. What happened here? This this is one of the most bizarre and hilarious stories, but I also think troubling, but I always go with comedy first. I think it's funny, but I do think it's it's an important this one is for not, us to look this at. This is a very serious show. We don't do comedy. It's very We do no comedy. There's no my, discussion my about mo- yoga my pants mother or listened, yoga. My mother has listened to one or two episodes, and she would, she would agree that we don't do comedy either. <laughs> Um, well, so, okay. On a serious note, okay. this is Robbins Air Force Base out in, it's in Warner Robbins, Georgia. I've never right. been there, but I'd, I'd love to visit. Anyway, this Air Force Base became sort of a lightning rod this week because guards at the gate, apparently, when people were driving in, were saying, quote, have a blessed day, which is a very common saying. Many of us will will say that to those we are greeting. Um, and so they were saying this consistently, and, and a non-religious, that's the description, individual who apparently also serves at the Air Force Base and is being trained there but is going unnamed, complained because they felt that have a blessed day was an inappropriate thing for guards to be saying. And they went to the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, which is not an atheist group, but it's a church-state separatist group. It's a First Amendment watchdog that tends to go after the military and try to remove um, anything that, that they view as a separation of church and state infraction. And so they um, apparently called the base, and the commander of the base said, oh, yes, we agree, we'll, we'll make sure that nobody says have a blessed day. They implement this ban uh. on saying have a blessed day. The media gets a hold of it, um, and then they end up reversing the ban and saying, no, 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 we were wrong. Air Force code allows people to say have a blessed day. <laughs> ridiculous what, how much time i mean apparently there's a lot of people with a lot of spare time on their hands i don't know i you and i have to work our butts off just to make time to do this little stupid show that's you know what we do right and we enjoy doing it but we have to make time and schedule time how do these people how do they come up with the time to be if i don't even have time to be offended by someone saying blessed day to me even if i found it offensive i don't have time to find it offensive And listen, I mean, Mikey Weinstein, who's the head of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, a lot of conservatives don't get along very well with him. They don't like him. They feel like he's Um, anti-Christian. Sometimes he's dubbed an atheist, but he would not describe himself that way at all. In fact, I believe he's Jewish, and I think he, maybe he's agnostic, but I can't say for certain. I've interacted with him quite a bit, and ironically, I think people would be surprised by this. We have a pretty good relationship in terms of him reaching out. You know, I can call him for comment. He takes my calls. I don't think He'll do the same for Todd Starnes and some other people who do some religious reporting. But, you know, and it's good. We always keep you know, at the blaze. We always keep the lines of communication open so that we can. And, and Chris is rolling his eyes, if you can see right now. Um, we keep those lines of communication open. But I mean, at the end of the day, and I would say this to Mikey, and if you're listening, Mikey, I think this is ridiculous. Um, I, I don't know why. This I don't see this as any sort of infraction. I mean, it's not like they're saying you better have a blessed day and you better bow down to Jesus or you're going to hell. They're saying have a blessed day. Right. I mean, it's very benign. I I can't imagine why this would be an issue and why anybody – and this is Georgia, by the way. Right. Why anybody in Georgia is banning people from saying this. And it's – and the 
I, the word, the problem they're having word is, is the word blessed, as though that is only a religious term. And it isn't. Our society has decided that that's not just a religious term. I mean, if you go to Merriam-Webster, one of the definitions is bringing pleasure, contentment, or good fortune. Or good fortune, it brings good fortune. So you mean it's mystical? Maybe it's related to gypsies? I mean, come on. But you know what the cumulative effect of this is? And this is the problem. I I do think some of the claims about the military being anti-Christian are overstated a little bit. But there are a lot of these at the same time. And you can feel free to disagree, Chris. But there are a lot of these. I disagree. There are a lot of these things that come up and happen. And I think the cumulative effect of this is that it does silence people. Because even if the base reversed it, you're afraid. You don't want to be at the center of a controversy. You don't want to be the person everybody's talking about. So you might hold back from saying something about your faith, maybe, right? Oh, I I know. And it's, it's all about silencing people. Now, it's not necessarily the military wanting to silence people. It's, it's people like these atheist movements, this freedom from religion, Shinola group that wants to, they, they want, they, they just don't want they don't think that all speech should be allowed. They just Can simply I tell you don't a story believe it. about the Freedom from I Religion wish, Foundation. I, I wish that you would. So I went to the Reason Rally in 2012, and for those of you who have a, I, let me stop myself. I almost said something offensive. I almost said for those of you who have a brain, um, a lot of very smart people were at the Reason Rally. So I'm gonna ret- I'm gonna retract, and I could have even not even said it. So I still had a veiled joke there. But <laughs> anyway. Um, lots of nice people at the at the Reason Rally, but it was an atheist rally on the National Mall in Washington, mm. D.C. in 2012. And I'll tell you this much. I was a celebrity there. I oh, never yeah. go anywhere where everybody knew who I was. Those atheists knew exactly who I was. Did you get along with them all right? Yeah. You know what? I actually have a lot. Of, I'm That's actually true. friendly with a lot of the people in that movement, even people who ideologically I think are way off the rails. Right. Uh, but – the Freedom from Religion Foundation is run by Annie Laurie Gaylor and Dan Barker. They're married. Uh, they're both co-presidents. And where'd, where'd I actually get, talk with where, Dan. Where'd they get married? Sometimes. Where'd they get married? What? Where did they get married? I don't know. He, he was a pastor huh. at one point. He's now an atheist. All right. Now, Dan Barker has always been very friendly to me. His wife, however, is not a fan. And when I approached her <laughs> at the Reason Rally and I said, Hi, I'm Billy Hollow. I would love to do an interview with you. I know who you are. Oh, yes. She was you not happy. And she agreed to do the interview. But as we were walking to where we were doing it, she made tripped sure you. that I knew. She tripped you. <laughs> Your readers are the most, are the most, are the rudest and the nastiest. You know, she went on and on about all of the people who apparently send them hate mail after I write stories. Yep. So I yep, smiled people. and I interviewed her. Oh. Well, it was a terrible story. But the bottom line <laughs> is she does not story. like me. It was a terrible story, but you told it well. There you go. <laughs> I made it nice. <laughs> Listen, I I agree with you. Though. I think they're uh, out of control. I think some of these groups are looking for problems where there aren't problems. And I do think, though, conservatives have to be open to the fact, and, and Christians too, um, that sometimes these groups do have valid points every once in a while. So you you, you got to look case by case. But I think more often than not, there's a mountain being made out of a molehill. I do too. And okay, so we need to take a break. But when we come back from the break, I want to get into another story that's actually related to. Uh, religion and chaplaincy and in the military. So uh, it's a story you wrote about another chaplain and about some um, some troubles he's going through right now. So we're going to take a break and we will be right back. Back to the church boys. God bless you, Chris Field. God, God bless you. God bless you, Billy. God bless. We we can't say that. We can't say oh, that. Sorry. I mean, no have blessings. a blessed have a blessed day. 
No blessings. A, Don't say have a blessed day. Have you a, can't do that. Have a, so we've been talking about the military and um, some of the crazy stories going on this week in the end. And I think they're entertaining. I have to say they're crazy. They're entertaining and they're concerning in disturbing. that order. Yeah. That's the order. Yeah. Well, disturbing we go with last because you know what? I can be outraged about it while I laugh at everybody who's ridiculous. Yeah, it's true. So, okay, we have another story, though, which is pretty outrageous. Um, and, and it's one of those he said, she said stories. And these are always difficult because you don't really know what exactly happened. But in this case, you have a Navy chaplain. He's been a chaplain for almost 20 years. In fact, he's supposed to be retiring or reaching retirement age in just a few months. And right before retirement comes, he's embroiled in a massive national controversy because he dared, according to what his attorneys are saying and what his attorney told me this week, dared to share his faith while counseling soldiers. Um, wait, and wait, this wait. Is, so this like is... an, or, or an ordained minister? paid to counsel soldiers, paid as a minister, shared his faith. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes, he should. Well, now let that me is tell you specifically, specifically what he did. Okay. Uh, this is West Modder. That's his name, West Modder. And he was serving at the Navy Nuclear Power Training Compound in Goose Creek, South Carolina. He'd only been there since April of 2014. But like I said, he's been decorated. He's done this for almost 20 years. And in fact... Um, has been so well praised in the past that he also served with the Navy SEALs, which is not something that you get to do for no reason. No. He is, you know, was commended and highly commended and was given that honor. Um, before I, I tell you what he allegedly did, he was given a review in October, and I think this is a really important detail in this case. He was given a performance review, and in that performance review was called, quote, the best of the best, was recommended mm. for promotion, um, and was showered praise upon as being extremely successful in almost every category, okay? Oh, okay. So when December comes, equal opportunity officials approach him and tell him that there have been complaints. Now, he was given that review in October, on October 31st, so between October 31st and December 6th, he apparently lost his mind um, or the military is looking for a reason to dismiss him because what happened about, I guess, a handful of people who sought counseling from him, they're unnamed, they complained in that time frame. And in that time frame, that month period, he apparently – and now brace yourself, Chris. Okay. He apparently said that having sex outside of marriage is wrong oh. during a private counseling session. No, wait, that, wait, wait, wait. This was an ordained minister who said this kind of thing? Yeah, can you believe it? It's almost uh, as though it's almost as though he's repeating Christian doctrine. What is he Christian? <laughs> yes. Well, that's just outrageous. <laughs> well, and also he said homosexuality is wrong. Now they have some quotes that are a little bit um that they claim in these in these letters that he said that he is disputing, that his attorney is disputing, and, and I won't read them. But they're saying basically at the end of the day his attorney says that he could be dismissed. He's already been reassigned temporarily and that they want the military wants to push him possibly out of out of his chaplain role over these complaints because he needs to serve in a pluralistic environment. He's not apparently doing that by by speaking out against sex before marriage. He allegedly also berated a pregnant woman for having for being pregnant without being married. So those are some of the claims against him. Right. That's and you can't. The and there's and there's one thing to be said about. Yeah. I don't, who knows how he said these things or how these people and you got to understand that people take things certain ways that aren't intended. But if he did berate somebody, then you've got maybe a little bit of an issue. Right. Though, Absolutely. You know, though, though, I would add berating cadets is not an unheard of thing in the military. 
No, that's a good point. And and when I asked his attorney about it at the Liberty Institute, um, Michael Berry, he said, no, you know, he did not berate. He did not berate. Now, they say that they're cherry picking and that really, again, this is he said, she said. It's important to note that these are one-on-one communications. Right. They're confidential. Um, he would have never come forward saying what was discussed. So the fact that these people have come forward saying it is sort of interesting. But what that sticking point for me is that if he was so horrible, why did he get Again, either he lost his mind during that month period, during the month of November, he lost his mind, um, or, you know, there's something else going on. I also was curious exactly when I said these were filed. My assumption is they were filed between October 31st and December 6th because, you know, if they were filed beforehand, why would he have been given such a glowing review? And by the way, we have the review on theblaze.com. We have some of the comments. Um that were posted and you can read the entire review and and in fact you can read about his stellar history as a really celebrated chaplain but at the end of the day even if he said these things and let's say he didn't berate them and he did say these things you know he's repeating christian doctrine no is should that be allowed well if 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 the military allows for a minister to be a part of the military in the role of chaplain then you would think that yes that is allowed right yeah, I mean, well, here's the and here's the other thing because this is complicated. It doesn't sound complicated, but it sort of is because you know, what if somebody goes to him and they don't realize, they don't know that he's a Christian minister, right? Well, then they're an idiot. Right, I agree. Um, but I I have been told that there's actually a lack of education and understanding that people don't really realize. But apparently, not this his guy, fault. Not his fault, by the way. Agreed. But apparently, he, according to his attorney, again, this is just his side. When anybody new comes to him for counseling, he makes it very clear where he stands, and he asks permission to show them Bible verses on right. specific issues before he does it. So it, it looks like a, it looks like persecution to me. I mean, that's simply against this guy. Like somebody's, somebody's got an axe to grind against this guy because why, why he as a member of the military cannot tell other people what's morally okay and not okay, but suddenly the military, other military people can tell this chaplain that he can't say what's morally okay or not okay. So are, well, let me, how, how let is me, it? How is how is that any different? How is it? He, he's allowed. He's not. He would not be allowed to tell somebody A is okay, B is not okay. But the military can tell him A is okay and B is not okay. So here, this line is key from the letter. The letter that the commander wrote, um, Navy Captain John Foz is his name. He wrote, Modder failed to show tolerance and respect for the rights of individuals to determine their own religious convictions as required by reference B. I assume that's some sort of military reference. Um, On multiple occasions, he discriminated against students who were of different faiths and backgrounds. Well, then why are they going to a Christian yeah, I'm sure you can give them advice. It's not, I'm not saying you shouldn't go if you're not a Christian, but my point is you have to expect to get Christian advice from a Christian. Right, and isn't it, isn't it handy that he can't defend himself because that would be divulging private conversations that he's not allowed to divulge? But don't you wonder, and, and this is conspiratorial, but let's say they were all filed, those complaints in the month of November. Again, either it's on him and he had a bad month and he was crazy, right? Right. right. Or maybe it's a little bit calculated, yeah. right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it just ticks me off. But the military has to respond to this because he's grieving. He's fighting this. Right. Good, <laughs> the Liberty Institute is helping. They have to respond by, um, March by today. Yeah. March, March 16th. 16th. Yeah. So there you go. Um, I'm too. You can see me on the Skype. I am too. Uh, my level of pissed offedness right now about this story per, keeps me from saying things that I should say. 
I have a horrible nose itch. Are you seeing this yeah, in the well, camera? I, well, I see boogers. It looks like I'm picking, but I'm not. Boogers I, hanging out of your nose. No, it's just. Why don't you just give it? A, if you listen, if you've got a, if you got something, just go give it a good pick. I'm not gonna judge. We'll I pick, mean, we'll pick look. together. Here, on three, you pick, I'll pick. Okay, ready? <laughs> no. Yeah, let's do it. All right, okay. ready? Ready. One. One. Two. two three. Three. Attention, boys. The church boys. Man, I hate these guys. You know, I hate the church boys too. I really do. Me Satan. too. They're horrible. Horrible. They're awful. The devil. The devil has something right for once. Um, I shouldn't say that. That's terrible. Uh, so, <laughs> no, it's, you're just have... accurate. it's accurate. It might not be nice, but it's accurate. We have an interview for you, and I don't know why I'm saying this slowly and creepily, but we have an interview like for you. Interview. You should have seen the Skype. Billy's laid back like this. <laughs> we have an interview for you tonight on the Church Boys. And this interview, is, I already mentioned it earlier on in the show, but it's with Michael Lindsay, the president of Gordon College. It's really, I think it's a fascinating interview because we are one of the first ones to actually speak with him about this publicly. Uh, we, we talked with him back in October about the initial controversy over his college and this and this oath that they have students and faculty sign. The oath talks about sexual purity, among other things. No sex outside of marriage. Also, not engaging in homosexual relationships. A pretty common thing. While it might shock many on the... Uh-oh. Billy? Billy Skype crapped out on us. Billy. For schools. Oh, just yeah. a your, your Skype went out on us. Try again. Should I start over? No, just like it was like maybe 10 seconds. So just kind of repeat what you said 10 seconds ago. You, you were froze. You were freeze framed and I wish everyone could see it because it was great. And now it makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, th this controversy that set off last year, that's what we end up discussing. And in, in that controversy, it's centered on the school's oath that it has that they have students and faculty sign. And that oath essentially says they will remain sexually pure. They won't engage in homosexual relationships and they won't have sex outside of marriage. Right. So, which is, which by the way is redundant. Right. Well, right? yeah, the, I the mean, rule and, is, the rule but is, but they wouldn't no, allow gays to get married though. Right. But the rule is no sex outside of biblical marriage. Right. That's, exactly. that's their rule, which would yes. include straight and gay sex. Right. Now, they don't they've never expelled a student who's gay they've never but it's against who's not gay but actively living a gay lifestyle and and what they've done is they've gone through this 9 month period where they've had a period of discernment they've looked at the theology their traditional theology that they've had for 50 years and they've and they've assessed it is this right they've brought experts in they've they've and what they've concluded and I I won't spoil it actually I'm not going to tell you what they've concluded you have to listen to the interview for that <laughs> but but it's fascinating, and I think it's going to be a blueprint for a lot of other colleges who are facing public scrutiny over embracing traditional values. And so um, he was great. He came in. He talked with us quite a bit about this. And also he addressed the controversy. There's an accreditation board that accredited, accredited the college that actually is also investigating. Um, and there was a lot of talk. Are they going to lose their accreditation, which would be a massive, huge thing? He said no. And he told us this in October, too. They're not going to lose their accreditation. The board's goal is basically to make sure students are being protected. And so he had very favorable things to say about the board, actually. Okay, um, and I will leave it at that. Perfect. All right. Well, then, here's the interview. I'm here today with Michael Lindsay, president of Gordon College. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So it's been a while. I think we talked back in, I think it was October last time that we talked. And, you know, I'm just really fascinated by sort of all the issues that 
um, have surrounded Gordon, and I would imagine it's, some of it's probably been surprising to you in your position as president there since, was it last July? Was it last summer that this all sort of started for you guys? That's right, July of 2014. And, you know, we reported on this before, and we're going to link back to that, but just to give people a little bit of background, there was a letter that you had signed on to as a private individual, a letter that was basically asking for organizations to have the right, Christian organizations, like the Salvation Army, Catholic, um, Charities. Catholic Charities, to have the right, if they so choose, not to be forced to hire people who were in same-sex relationships. Yeah, the, the real uh, push there was to say that faith-based organizations ought to have the right to hire for mission, is the language that's uh, used in the public policy world. If you don't have a religious exemption on federal workplace guidelines, it would be illegal for Catholic charities to require that their CEO is Roman Catholic. It seems to me like that's pretty basic. So religious exemption allows for those kinds of provisions. The particular letter I signed was in response to the President's planned executive order around employment non-discrimination as it relates to sexual orientation. Uh, the Christian Church has had a variety of traditions, uh, but historically has said that uh, same-sex sexual activity or same-sex marriage should be outside the bounds of um, Christian community living. And Gordon, like many other Christian colleges, has a, a set of uh, conduct expectations for members of our community. We don't impose it upon our neighbors or our friends, but it is something that if you apply to study at Gordon, where you're going to be living in residence on our campus, or apply to work there, that you agree to abide by those community covenants. And you make that decision, and I mean, I'm taking seminary classes right now, right? And before I took them, I signed a bunch of, I agreed to a bunch of stuff, and I knew that going into it. So students and, and faculty too, right? That's right. We're a voluntary moral community, and so if you apply as an employee or as a student, you say, I sign on to where Gordon stands, and that's the expectation. So um, so you signed this letter as a private individual, which I think is an important distinction here. You didn't sign the college onto it. Not that it would matter if you did, but you didn't. And then what happens? Um, our neighbors and friends in greater Boston and in New England and, frankly, across the country began to try and um, use Gordon College for their political ends. And we became the object of a great deal of attention, some of which I think is uh, highly unfair and did not accurately reflect Gordon. So Gordon has had this life and conduct statement for over 50 years, and it's been part of our community expectations. But it's been the foundation of our institution, not the front door. And what's happened is that our sexual identity policies have now come to be seen as front and center of who the institution is. And that's, that's never been who Gordon is. Gordon is a nationally ranked Christian liberal arts college like every institution of higher learning, we have folks who hold a variety of positions on virtually every issue, even on this particular issue. So it's been challenging for us to be able to grapple with these issues in a thoughtful, Christ-honoring way. I'm, I'm, I'm very gratified with the ways in which my colleagues have been able to address the issue and that we've tried to lead the way in some uh, significant dimensions of the discussion about sexual identity. M my sense is that Gordon has been at the tip of the spear of a very significant cultural conversation, and the kinds of conversations and issues that we have faced over the last nine months are coming to every single Christian institution in this country in the days ahead. Yeah, it's, just, it's interesting because you said you've had the policy for 50 years, right, for five decades, and I think most Christian schools have these policies, and that's why it's always interesting to me when it becomes a giant controversy, and it's like, okay, well, this has been on the books forever, and this is what... I think we sort of forget as a culture, regardless of where people stand on the issue, um, that this is sort of where everybody kind of was, or the vast majority of people were not long ago. 
including the president, including a lot of other people who have now evolved on it, which people do evolve, they change their views. But the point is, it's, it's, it's sort of like people look at it like, oh my gosh, can you believe that these people, these Christians are saying this? And it's like, well, yeah, everybody was saying it. The vast majority of people were saying this not long ago. Do you see that tide slowing down at all? Because it seems like a pretty fast sort of tide in that direction. So I think that the conversation is going to continue. And if you look at uh, demographic data, certainly among younger Christians, they are more accepting of same-sex marriage and same-sex relationships. I think uh, we're seeing some of the effects of the um, public education in this country and how they have framed issues of uh, same-sex relations for a long time. And many parents, grandparents, community members were really not paying attention to what's part of the hidden curriculum within our schools, and so I think we're starting to see some of that effect. At the same time, I do feel that we're at an inflection point in, a, in the pendulum swing, that there's, there's clearly been a, a sense of overreach. I mean, it's, it's very interesting because if uh, gay and lesbian uh, community activists have been treated 10 years ago the way that Gordon College has been treated in the last nine months, they would have uh, been significantly silenced, not have had any of the opportunities. So some of the very people who were at one time, by their own sort of perspective, oppressed, have now become the oppressors. So as we've been in these conversations with many uh, friends and neighbors who have very different positions than Gordon does, we've tried to sort of remind them that the beauty of American civil society is the pluralism. It's the recognition that you can actually have sharply divisive issues that do indeed divide the community, but you can still find ways to work together. You do not have to see eye to eye on every issue in order to yeah, work shoulder right. to shoulder. Right. And that's one of the key messages we've been trying to share with our friends and neighbors in New England. Tell me, I mean, listen, you're in a, t- you're in a tough position geographically, right? And as I say this, I'm looking at Bryant Park out the window, and we're in New York City. And I think when, whenever you're sort of counterculture to where you are, um, it's difficult. What, tell me a little bit about what happened. What are some of the things, you, know, you talked about the treatment a little bit that have happened to Gordon, um, some examples of some of the treatment that you guys have received over the last uh, almost a year now, the last nine months. Yeah, I'd say that it's been incredibly challenging because the, the local media market really made us pariahs in our own community in significant ways. And um, different entities that have been doing work with us, including um, the local school district in Lynn, Massachusetts, a, a working class community uh, close to our campus that we love very much. We've significantly invested time and energy to be part of that community. We still are investing that time and energy, but their school committee decided that they would somehow break ties with us. And um, that was painful for us. I'd say that was really difficult. We had, I think, maybe eight or 10 students who were doing student teaching in in the district within 12 hours. Other districts had snapped up Gordon students because they have a terrific reputation. We have one of the strongest teachers. So they were terminated from their student teaching. They were. those opportunities were closed okay. to them. It wasn't a uh, contractual employment relationship. Right. School districts do it by uh, volunteer, and it's a voluntary relationship. But it was painful for us uh, to have some of those opportunities that we had really enjoyed in the past no longer available. That said, I've had conversations with virtually every school district in our region of greater Boston, and they continue to say great things about our, our students, uh, our graduates who are some of their teachers. So we have good, strong relationships. But that's an example of a particular connection that the institution had that has been affected. 
We've had others um, who have uh, tried to take action against us in one way or another. But I have to say that on the whole, it's, it's largely been the negative media attention that we've gotten. That's been probably the hardest thing for us. Have you gotten a lot of emails, phone calls that are harassing or th you know, things like that just sort of suck time away? Because I know when these things happen, that's like the number one thing I hear from people. I'm getting phone calls, I'm getting emails, you know, and have you guys had a lot of that? We, early on, we had um, some negative uh, contacts that came to us, but it's interesting. I took a census sometime in the middle of the fall of all the communications my office had received, and we had gotten you know, a couple thousand uh, pieces of communication, whether it be phone calls or letters or emails, and 90% of it was actually positive and affirming of the college. So some of the opposition was loud, vocal, and getting a lot of the press attention, but actually, our core constituency was relatively satisfied where the college was. And that said, I think that part of this process has revealed there have been moments when Gordon has not always lived up to our ideals in caring for all our students, and, and that's important to us. We've tried to learn from the experience, and we also recognize that there are folks within our own community who have different uh, theological convictions than the institution does. That's okay. Um, we are a diverse place, and we've always been a thoughtful place for real uh, deliberation. The thing that we want to make sure is that there's clarity around where the college stands on these issues. We right. thought deeply about them and we care uh, very much that we could be living into our identity as an evangelical Christian institution. Absolutely. And I mean, there's so many other things that happen. I know the Salem, we won't go into that again. I've, I've covered the Salem stuff pretty in depth. But talk to me, and I have covered this as well, but the New England Association of Schools and Colleges, um, the Commission on Institutions of Higher Education, that's a lot of words, but how did that happen where they sort of, you know, came in to you guys and wanted to look at the policy on, on homosexuality, sort of look at that and examine it? How did that come about and what sort of was the process of that? And are you guys going to lose your accreditation? We are not going to lose accreditation. <laughs> to think that would be uh, laughable. I mean, We're Gordon, not Canada, right? Yeah. <laughs> Gordon is one of, certainly one of the top two or three Christian liberal arts colleges in the country. And uh, honestly, for our accreditation to be put in some kind of jeopardy would mean the end of, of regional accreditation as we know it. And the New England Association of Schools and Colleges, uh, also known as NEASC, is well aware of that. And they're not interested in using some kind of nuclear option in this situation. We have a really good relationship. Um, I'm in regular communication with uh, Dr. Barbara Brittingham, who's the head of NEASC. We uh, have had NEASC on our campus. We've gone through five rounds of reaccreditation starting in uh, 1962, and uh, every 10 years since then, in our most recent accreditation in 2012, it was our strongest report we've ever had, and the college has only been uh, improving since then in terms of academic profile, uh, financial foundation, enrollment, all, all of the major indicators that would suggest the institution is healthy and thriving are up and to the right. So it's been a very positive development for us. At the same time, there are certainly some within the world of higher education who would like to use accreditation as a club for some kind of social agenda, you know, some kind of tool that they could apply to faith-based institutions. But we're actually very blessed because even in the, the congressional legislation that set up these regional accrediting bodies, there is a requirement that they respect the religious mission of faith-based institutions. So the conversations we're having with NIAS are probably similar to conversations they have with any institution that winds up being in the media. I, I think that uh, some of our local media has exaggerated this uh, because perhaps they want to apply pressure to the institution, but by and large, Gordon continues to have a very strong, 
positive, productive, good relationship with Nias. It struck me when I first read it, and, I, and you know, I'll just say it. It struck me as sort of like a formality. This is in the media. People are talking about it, and we need to show that we're actually looking at this so that people know that we are making sure that students are safe and being cared for and all that. That's what it struck me as, as a reporter looking at it. And I think, you know, fine. It seems like there's a good relationship there. Now, at the time when this sort of was out in the media and a lot of people were worrying that you were going to lose accreditation, and I remember we talked about it at the time, and you said there's a 0% chance it's not, you know, not going to happen. Um, the, at that same time, you, and actually beforehand, I think in August, before all this really broke and they got involved for accreditation purposes, you had put together a panel, if I'm not mistaken, of, of students and faculty who would be looking at this issue of how you could better serve gay and lesbian students on campus. That's right. We, we built a working group of 20 individuals that had representative uh, students, faculty, staff, uh, trustees and administrators. It was sort of modeled on a group that we put together about a decade ago, not to deal with issues of sexuality, but to think about the college's position on some other cultural issues. And um, that working group's uh, deliberations uh, came to a conclusion in early February. It was incredibly helpful for us. For six months, they listened intently to different Gordon constituents on this particular issue. They had panels of students, panels of staff members, panels of um, faculty members who came in. and had an opportunity to talk from their heart how they really feel about this issue and what they want the college to do. The working group became the official listening arm of the institution, which was incredibly useful for me as president and I think for our board of trustees as they were thinking, how can we be as thoughtful, as Christ-honoring in this discussion as possible? The working group really served that purpose. Now, what can you tell me? Because I know, I know that now that this is sort of concluded, and I've been wondering for months, you know, what, how is this going to end? What, what was sort of the end result of that? What came out of that? What were the discussions, and how will Gordon move forward from here? So let me say the, the discussion is not complete, uh, but we have reached a place where we at least have um, come up with a, a set of protocol adjustments that we want to implement. The first of those is that uh, the Board of Trustees have said, we really want to lean into the care and uh, love for our students. That, you know, Gordon is a highly selective liberal arts college, and so every single student we admit, we love those kids, and we want to have them thrive, we want them to do well at Gordon. And over the last nine months, we have seen episodes where there have been times in our history, not so much recently, more in our distant path, past, where we were not doing as good a job of caring for our students, particularly as they were grappling with issues of sexual identity. It's a common part of the growing up process to be thinking about human sexuality. Especially college. Especially college. And so um, we recognize that there are things we ought to do. So uh, today we're announcing the formation of a Life Together task force that will be based within our Center for Student Development, headed by our Vice President for Student Life. The, the name of the group gets its inspiration from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic book, Life Together, talking about how a Christian community can work together, even across differences. And the Life Together Task Force is going to be thinking holistically at everything from the educational experience, campus programming, uh, course offerings, but also residence life, our chapel program. How can we better serve our students who are grappling with these issues? Are there specific protocol adjustments? How do we handle it, for example, as a residence hall or as a community when a student decides that they're beginning to question what they've taken for granted as their sexual identity. In the past, I'd say that we have been um, more haphazard in how we've responded. It's been more idiosyncratic, and we want to be as thoughtful as we possibly can. So this task force is being formed. We also recognize that in, uh, you know, maybe a decade or two ago, 
there was uh, some bullying that happened on our campus as a result of students who were coming out or at least grappling with their sexual identity. But we don't want that for anybody. So we are strengthening our anti-bullying policy. We're adding in um, training for all of our residence life staff, for basically our frontline responders of anyone who has significant engagement with our students, including faculty, coaches, um, chaplains, residence life staff, helping them to think, how do you respond when questions are asking these kinds of questions? It's our hope that we might be able to add a part-time staff member either in our chapel office or in the Center for Student Development on campus who would be specifically focused on helping students who want to have conversation around sexuality issues, but also helping us to provide more campus programming. Listen, we are a sex-saturated uh, culture. Pornography is rampant. It's all around us. And it's really hard for a young man or young woman to keep their way pure. Not even just porn. I mean, look, you watch TV. I mean, during primetime now, it's crazy That's right. what is on primetime. And there's shows that I really like. And I'll say to my wife, I can't believe what's in this show. I can't even believe that I'm watching this right now. But it's like 8 o'clock. You know, so, yeah, you can't escape it. You can't escape it. And so we recognize that if we want to be an intentional Christian community, we need to be more deliberate and intentional about how we help our students grapple with that. At the same time, we have these protocol adjustments, which are some of which we've already implemented, others of which we're uh, working on thinking through, and, and our board would like to come back to them with a full slate of recommendations by the end of this academic year, so in three months' time. That group is going to be working intently on trying to help us think in those directions. At the same time, the board also looked at the, the deeper theological questions. As an educational institution, our posture is to say, we want to be open to the best uh, knowledge, uh, scholarship that's available. So are there new ideas uh, or um, new ways of looking at the biblical material, either hermeneutically, theologically, or exegetically, that might somehow shift the college's thinking on this issue? We've had a historic position. It's one that's held by uh, you know, a, a billion Christians around the world. The vast majority of, yes. of Christians, yeah. Uh, at the same time, we recognize that there have been some changing attitudes within particularly uh, North American Christianity, and so we wanted to, to look at the issues as thoughtfully as possible. We hosted 24 forums on our campus over the last nine months. We brought in theologians, social scientists, scholars, pastors, counselors, helping our trustees and the campus leadership to look at this holistically. We read um, you know, thousands of pages of uh, thick scholarly works on the issue, looking at individual biblical texts, but also looking holistically at the biblical narrative. In the end, uh, the board concluded, you know, we really do think that the college's traditional position is exactly right for an evangelical institution. So the Board of Trustees unanimously reaffirmed the theological position and our statement of life and conduct, which uh, keeps in place the understanding of traditional human sexuality, that we believe sex should be reserved within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. This is not uh, earth-shattering news, but it is the end result of a, a long, thoughtful process of careful deliberation, prayerful consideration, and I, I feel really good about where we wound up. So no theological change? No theological change. How do you think the critics who have sort of gone after Gordon are going to respond to that? It's my hope that those folks who were raising criticisms were doing so out of an earnest desire to try and care for gay and lesbian students. And I would probably say, most of the people who were raising concerns really want to make sure we're, we're caring well for those students who are grappling with issues of sexual identity on our campus. There is no way they can look at the, the announcement today and not see this as a, a positive step forward. We are trying to be as pastorally sensitive in as a thoughtful way as is uh, humanly possible. 
At the same time, those folks who are lobbying for us to somehow change our theological position, they don't know Gordon College very well. We are a, evangel a flagship evangelical institution within global Christianity. So obviously we're going to be deeply shaped by the Bible and by traditional biblical interpretation of these right. issues. Yeah. It's who we are. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me. I guess if you had one of these activists in front of you, right, what, what would you say to them about bridging divides maybe? I think I would say that the genius of um, American civil society is that we really do want to uphold principled pluralism. I mean, that was the observation Alex de Tocqueville made when he came to visit the U.S. 200 years ago and was comparing it with his native land of France, where they didn't have principled pluralism, where there was groupthink, where you had to sort of hew to a particular party line on ideological norms. America has never been that kind of a place. We recognize that there are sharp differences in interpretations. And on this particular issue, the idea that we would somehow require um, an overarching uh, theological position is antithetical to the very American experiment that we're all a part of. At the same time, I recognize that those folks who are especially concerned about issues of sexual identity want to make sure that students who are on our campus are well cared for and are loved. They may not be entirely happy with today's announcement because they may have been wanting us to change our theological posture. At the same time, I think that they have to applaud the thoughtfulness with which we have approached this. We did the most comprehensive, campus-wide, intentional set of conversations in the history of the institution around this issue. There is nobody who can say we've not looked at this thoroughly. I mean, 24 forms, I know that's like just the tip of the iceberg of everything else you guys did on this. You definitely did your due diligence and you looked at it. And I think it's interesting. Now, now if a student attends the school for four years, right, and they're, they're gay and they're sort of living in that lifestyle, at, at what point, I mean, is there, do they sort of need to leave the school if they're not abiding? Like, how does that work if they're not, not abiding by... So, so all of us who live and work at Gordon are expected to abide by our statement of life and conduct. And so we have the expectation for our gay students, which is the same expectation we have for our straight students, which is that um, they should be celibate. Uh, we don't have many gay married students. Uh, I'm sorry, we don't have many married students, period, uh, on our campus because we're primarily an undergraduate institution. But we basically say sex is within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. And we ask everyone, gay or straight, to abide by those kind of expectations. We have never uh, suspended or expelled a student um, who happens to be gay who is sexually active. We, tr we treat these issues as pastoral issues and we try to have a pastoral word. At the same time, we do take our life and conduct statements seriously and we want to try and hold one another accountable. And there are plenty of schools people can go to that will allow certain things, you know, and I mean, there are probably more schools than not that would allow on that. So, well, listen, thank you for your time. Is there anything else you'd like to say about today's announcement? I think that the, the key thing that I'm hoping that uh, our friends and neighbors will see is that Gordon really desires to be a place that upholds the Christian virtues of grace and truth. And uh, we want to be known as a place that is loving and caring, but is also deeply committed to the truths of our evangelical heritage. And I think today is perhaps a, a good example of how we tried to do that very thoughtfully over at least a period of nine months while the rest of the world is watching us. Well, listen, I really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Belly. 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 God? Belly. Is that you? Belly.
Don? Billy. Billy. This sounds an awful lot like Chris Field. Billy. Billy. Chris? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I just inspired <laughs> uh, by a story that you wrote earlier this week. I know Glenn talked about it earlier last week. I guess I should say Bill, Glenn talked about it as this... Uh, this mysterious voice that claim that police claim led them to a baby trapped for 14 hours in frigid waters. Uh, Billy, is this a bunch of nonsense? Did you just get possessed by Larry King and then RuPaul consecutively? <laughs> <laughs> Billy, this is a fascinating story. Is it? Is it? Crap. Oh, boy. Fact or crap? Oh, boy. Is this fact or crap? Tell me about this. So it's fact. I mean, from what we know, it's fact. There were four police officers, and they were called to the scene well, of just a, a second. car. Wait, 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 wait. What we have learned over the last few few months, you cannot trust the police, Billy. I thought you were going to say quoting, you cannot trust me because I haven't delivered on our, our that, porn star well, guest. Well, that's beside the fact. Everybody knows that nobody can trust the Blaze Faith editor. But I'm telling you, you can't trust the police. So why are we even talking about this? We should automatically discount it. <laughs> Well, these aren't Ferguson well, the police, so, so I think wait, we're wait. good. So here's my question. The baby that was allegedly in the car, were her hands up? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Tell people the story no. before I get us in trouble. Okay, so the police are called in, they're called in Utah to this river, and the water is very cold because obviously it's wintertime. They're called to this river because a fisherman found a car. The car is turned upside down, and... Apparently, it had been there for 14 hours, and the police, they said they got to the scene, and they heard a voice calling for them, an adult woman's voice, help me, help me. So they rush into the water, into the frigid water, to the car. The four of them turn the car over, um, and they realize that inside the car is a 18-month-old, an 18-month-old baby um, who's still in her car seat and who's still alive. But the crazy thing is, right, they heard that voice crying for help, right, yelling right. for help. Right. The mother, the baby's mother in the front seat has been dead. They said it was evident she had been dead for a long time. Wow. And it turned out she had apparently been dead for hours. There was no other adult in the car. And all four of them, at least three of them on the record that I have seen, have said that they heard this voice. And in wow. fact... One of them, and they felt drawn to the car. One of them, though, said that it was almost a surreal experience. And he felt as though he could feel it inside of him, as though somebody was saying they needed help. And, the, and that's, mm. what, that's what gave them the, I guess, invigorated them to go and turn the car over and, and, and try to figure out who was in the vehicle. And they ended up rescuing this baby and saving the baby's life. And, and it was like one of them said, I felt like I could hear somebody. And another one says, I, I didn't just feel somebody here. It was like I heard it in my head. It was like, I heard someone saying it it wasn't yeah, two just... of them two of them actually said that they physically heard it and then one of those officers officer jared warner said the four of us heard a distinct voice coming from the car to wow. me it didn't sound like a child's voice and by the way you know the 18 month old i mean 18 month olds can't talk all that much anyway i mean they could say words right but the baby was passed out when they got to the car and they're not that loud anyway that's just that's unbelievable i mean but believable. Do you know what I mean? I say unbelievable and then say it's believable, but what well, the debate is, you know, what was the voice? I mean, when right. you have three people consecutively hearing something and by the way, they assume there's someone in the car, but they don't know. I mean, they don't know really anything. And for all of them to have that feeling, these are police officers who are going on the record saying they heard something that couldn't possibly be there by our standard without some sort of supernatural or other explanation that we don't really have here. Right. Um, it just I don't know. To me, it makes you wonder, is it was it? 
Some people are saying it's the mother from the grave. You know, that was what the Daily Mail said. Other people are saying it's an angel. You know, right. there's all different ideas of what it could have been. Oh, sure there is. And it's, and it's, I, I remember this. And when they were talking about on the, on Glenn's show, they're calling Stu the godless animal, right? For not listening, not believing it was, believing it was a real voice or something. Do you remember Listen, this? there's a lot of unexplainable things Absolutely. in life that happen. I don't know how you explain away three people though. Or, At least yeah, three people. Yeah. I mean, it's, weird things happen and we call them weird because we don't know what else because they're outside of our our normal what we call normal but god does amazing things and he can do amazing things listen like allowing us to have a podcast right for well instance. listen i know what a dirt bag you know what a dirt bag i can be or have been in my life before but god changed me and turned me around and if he can do that then then it's not outside of its possibility to, to talk to to do this with the baby wait i heard the word before you know what? <laughs> Just go around hurting people's feelings. That's fine. That's fine. No, listen, I agree. I mean, this this clearly something happened here. And I think, again, you need an explanation for it. It's not okay for people to just say, for atheists, just say, oh, nothing happened here. Either it was a person's voice, which I'm fine with. If there was a person right. there. Sure. Who, remember, the, remember the priest who went and prayed with the woman in the car wreck last year or the right. year before? You may not remember that viral story, but... Yeah. You know, everyone's looking for the priest. Who was the priest? He just walked away. Nobody, everybody saw him, and they never saw him again. It turned out it was a real priest. He came forward a few days later, right? Um, and it wasn't some angel or whatever. If there's a person who was near the car somehow in the frigid water that they didn't see who yelled help, right? Fine, <laughs> then we have that explanation. But something happened. Yeah, that's. But you know what? God does amazing things, and if He can do the miracle of changing my life, then He can do anything. They do anything else, and that's just. I agree. Th that that's it. I mean. There's nothing more miraculous than what he does for for people when he changes their lives. So, and how about that fundraiser? They they put a fundraiser together for the baby. The baby's name right. is uh, Lily, right. and they only wanted to raise eight thousand dollars for this baby. You know, just to to help the baby out. And when I wrote the story a few days ago, um, it was already over forty five thousand that they had raised for uh, her. And right now, I'm looking, and it's yeah. uh, seventy three thousand. That's amazing. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's it's seventy three thousand dollars for this kid. Oh, it's crazy. Pretty, and you know what? And that speaks to the American people that that's just kind of what we do. The, the whole GoFundMe stuff and all the other things that are the fundraisers online, however, you, how, whatever their different websites are, just our testament to the American people saying, you know what? I'm willing to be a part of that. I believe that's a good thing. I'll help you out. I think that's, I think it is so cool. I, I, I would love to do a show just on a, the, a series of these different GoFundMe kind of campaigns that are just like, you know what? This person's in a bad spot. Let's see if we can help them out. What a great idea. What a wonderful Absolutely. idea. So let's go. 73000 already. That's going to pay for like 10 minutes of college by the time she's college age. It's going to be great. <laughs> 10 minutes of college. I think you're <laughs> overestimating. I would say about three minutes of college. <laughs> and you get just as much education in those three minutes of college as you will hear. All right. Uh, <laughs> Billy, before we go... Um, I was going to say one more thing, and that is I hope that you uh, enjoy the week as much as I do because I will be spending every night thinking about Hillary Clinton's yoga pants. <laughs> yoga pants suit. Her sweaty. Oh, okay. Tight. <laughs> you need to stop. Okay. All right. Any, uh, any words of wisdom? Read your Bible. Oh, and read the blaze. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.
church boy.